issue with that earlier. It's the little things that get us, isn't it? We're starting a new series in Ephesians that I've called Accepted and Acceptable. So if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll read this as you follow along with me. Paul, an apostle by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons to Jesus Christ, according to the promise of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and of your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're starting this new series, Accept and Acceptable, to give us an idea of what it really means to know and grow in our faith in Christ. So the question for today is, do you understand the depths of your calling in Christ? That is a loaded question because it's a lot for us to think about. But I think it's important that we understand who we are in Christ, what he has called us to, how he has done it, and what the purpose is think back to when you received Christ, when you first heard the gospel, and all of a sudden God opened your eyes and your ears to know what it was and to know what he was calling you to. You may not have understood the depths of everything, but you knew that God was real and something inside you said, this is it. And as you 
thought about that. God worked with the Spirit to bring those words to life that you heard, whether it's the Romans Road or some other delivery of scriptures, but something from God's Word got you to understand the grace of God in Christ and how you believe by faith and received Him. You didn't go out wondering and looking for Him. He came to us. He came to you. And He said, here I am. And He opened our understanding to do that as we read in here. So think back to those times and how afterwards you grew slowly or fast. We're all different. But how you grew in that knowledge, how you grew in that faith, how you came to understand more and more as you walked with Christ. I can remember 43 years ago when this happened with me, how I began to wonder for the first year especially, looking into God's word, well, who is this Christ? Is he really God? Is he divine? And if so, what have I received? Who have I received? And because of that, I started wondering, well, can I lose this salvation? Can what I have go away? And after months and months of agonizing and looking through his word, I came to the realization that no, this was permanent because it's God's work, not my work. I received his work. I didn't go say, well, I just you know, believe in you. No, I accepted what he has done, his work. And because of that, I considered what it meant to be accepted in the beloved, accepted because of his work. And then he began to work in my heart to slowly over the years see what it meant to live acceptably for him in response. Not to earn my salvation. We can't do that. It's impossible. We're not perfect. But because he did that for us, our natural response then is to live to do what he wants, to be acceptable in response to him, to his call. So we'll be looking at the first chapter today that I read to help us deeply know what our calling is and encourage us to know and grow because we have been accepted in the beloved. This then is Paul's prayer for us to understand our calling and to encourage each other and us as we read what that growth is. It was written for the believers in Ephesus then and it's applicable to us now to both know and grow in our union with Christ and to do this with joy. So the first point I'd like to make before we go into all the, the background is um, it does help to know who these people were that he wrote to, even though this is written to all of us. But the message that I've entitled Know Your Calling from this first part of Accept and Acceptable is based in Ephesus which is in now Western Turkey. And we think back, and if you look into history, in around 17 AD, there's a massive earthquake, and the city was almost leveled. But a name that will come to our minds, Tiberius Caesar, the emperor, second emperor of Rome, rebuilt that city and turned it into this huge, beautiful place where all the wealthy people of Rome lived. They liked to gather there in Asia Minor because it was a great, prosperous place. And this is the place that Paul journeyed to in his second missionary journey and stayed there for two whole years, we see in Acts 19.10, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. He preached the word constantly for two years straight. But while he was there, he and his companions went, were corralled, if you would, into an amphitheater where the idol worshipers of the great Diana 
kept saying, great is the Diana of the Ephesians. Great is the Diana of the Ephesians. No offense, Diane. But, um, yeah. So, despite these strong objections to the gospel and their idol worship that they wanted to continue, that was their fame. Everybody knew them for this. They didn't want to give that up. But that truth made a church grow. It was planted by Paul. It grew and became prosperous itself. So that later, in around 80, 60 to 62, Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And from there, he wrote this epistle to these Ephesian believers because he cared about them. But it's not only written to them, like all the scriptures, it's also written to each one of us in this time. So this letter addresses a group of believers who are immeasurably wealthy in Christ Jesus, yet they're living seeming like beggars. You know, they're in this beautiful, wealthy place, but spiritually, they didn't quite grasp yet everything that they had in him. So Paul begins describing this heavenly treasure of blessings in this first chapter that we're going to look at today. We'll be looking at four different aspects of what our calling is and what it means to us. The first is our calling of holiness in verses 1 and 2. Then we'll move on to the calling of blessings in verses 3 through 6, and the calling of God's wise will in verses 7 to 12. Finally, we'll wrap it up by looking at the calling of a promised hope in verses 13 to 23. The first aspect, the calling of holiness, Paul starts out with identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He didn't say, I want this job. I'm going to apply for it on Indeed or Jobs.com, and I'm going to become a a pastor, and then I'll become a missionary, then I'll become an apostle. No, he said, it's by the will of God. We don't choose who we are in Christ. He does, as we've seen before. And he also said he's writing to the saints who are there in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, over the centuries, this has gotten kind of distorted a bit, and when we hear the word saints, we think, well, that's somebody that somebody has looked at their life and said, hey, you've done a great job, you've done this miracle, you've done these things, now you're a saint. What God is saying here, we're all saints if we're in Christ because we are not righteous. We can never do enough righteousness to make ourselves righteous. We can't make ourselves holy. We're righteous in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and nothing more. So each one of us in this room and online know that if you're in Christ, you're a saint. Just like Paul didn't choose himself to be an apostle, God chose us. We didn't choose ourselves to be a saint. It's not being proud to say, I am a saint. It's a fact of life because of Christ's work. And so these saints that aren't chosen or appointed by man but by God, been made holy in his righteousness, are not elected to sainthood, not by our righteous deeds, not by proving who we are by our works. And because of this, he says to the faithful in Christ, we respond with faithfulness by willing obedience to follow Christ and bear witness of this gospel to others, to live acceptably. It's not that we're earning our salvation by doing good works. Ephesians 2.10 makes that clear. God made those, prepared those for us to walk in them. We're to live out what he called us to do. Again, that's part of our calling. And it's also a calling by grace, as he says in the last verse there, in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This calling by grace is a gift of God's unearned favor 
We don't earn this, as we've seen, just like our faith. It's God's goodness to us, freely given, which leads us to another important truth that I found out early on, is we have an unshakable peace and an unshakable kingdom with him. We're no longer his enemies. We've been reconciled by that grace to be in Christ's presence or accepting the beloved. Nothing can take that away. Nobody can snatch us out of his hand. We can't say, oh, I just don't want to be a Christian anymore, God. I don't like it. It's too, too hard. If we're truly his, there is no going back because we've been changed. Therefore, our calling in Christ is by his holiness, and it gives us peace with God. The second aspect of our calling is that it is a calling of blessings. We think of the word blessings, and we think it's just something we get. It's something nice. But what God says here is it's blessed by the blessed one. He is the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us everything we have. And he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says in another place, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. Not just some things. Not just what we beg for. But everything we need. And we are blessed because he chose us in Christ not by our merit, as we've seen. Yet he does still call us to be holy and blameless because he says that. We're supposed to be righteous in our response, not just in our position in Christ's righteousness. He expects us, as John says, some participation is required. He expects us to follow in response. And to be honest, if we're honest with ourselves, how can we not, knowing what Christ has done for us, want to do these things? I mean, it, it drives us, it, it motivates us, it fills our life with the desire to please God, not during his favor, but because of his favor toward us. And so, we have been chosen before God even created the world. I mean, that will make you think a little bit. And this is what a lot of people still struggle with because the whole word predestination, you know, even though it's in the Bible a few times, the fact is it just means that God determined, he chose he called us. He knew because he made us. He said, you're going to be mine. And the saints in Christ that are made holy are chosen by him before time began, before he created the world. Think about that. Before Adam and Eve were even created, God already knew us. And that is hard for people to grasp because it takes away our ability to choose Christ, our ability to reason out the gospel for ourselves. Say, so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to accept you, okay, instead of I'm going to receive what you have done in your work, your calling. And because of that, he calls us to be his children. Now, how many times have you heard somebody say, we're all God's children? Uh, how true is that? Mm, it's not. <laughs> it's popular, and people like to hear it because we all want to think everybody is made in God's image, so therefore we're all God's children. But that's not the truth. And the truth does matter. And he has called us to be his children, those who he's called out. That's part of the calling that we're talking about here. That's the calling of blessings. We're blessed being his children. And in verse 6, he talks about how it's to the praise of the glory of his grace. He made us accepted in the beloved. He willed good for us. As Jimmy has covered in Genesis, when God created everything, he said it's good. It's all good. And that includes us, not you, each one of you, not just 
the world itself, not just the plants and the stars whirling around us and the atoms that make up what we are, but us made in his image. And we who are undeserving sinners are now made acceptable in Christ, the beloved. We should never let this truth grow old. We should never think, oh, yeah, I know that, and just move on. But daily consider our calling in Christ and those blessings to know what it means to be accepted in Christ. Which leads us to the third point. The third aspect is the calling of God's wise will in verses 7 through 12. It says here, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to this riches of his grace. So what has God given us in Christ? This is the backstory, if you will, of the gospel. We have lasting forgiveness. That means it doesn't end. It's eternal. And redemption. He has bought us back from the curse of sin. We are all born in sin, no matter what some might say in the world. We all deserve judgment. Every one of us. But he has bought us back by his blood. In the blood, it says, the life is in the blood. He is a sacrifice who shed his life in that blood to pay our penalty with his life so that we don't have to shed our blood, our life. And we think about that, what it really means to be his, our sacrifice and what his blood really means. It's not some mystical red thing that flows around us and we say, oh, that's the blood of Christ. Well, it's because of his sacrifice, what it means that matters to us. That's what has redeemed us. That which has bought us back from the sin we inherited from Adam and that we earn daily in our sinful fallen nature. So in verse 8, it talks about it's all by that grace abounding to us in wisdom and insight or prudence. He gives us understanding through his word by his spirit in us, as we'll see soon. And he revealed this mystery of his hidden will to be, as it says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. The hidden mystery all along was he was planning this to bring us into Christ, to make us his saints, to glorify him. And because he unveiled this will in Christ, he chose us, he determined all this, to call us to himself at the right time. For each one of us, that's a different time. For me, it was when I was 21 years old and I'd given up trying to figure out the meaning of life and my purpose on earth. And God said, uh, you missed this. It's me. One of these things. <laughs> Can't see without my glasses. So, he has called us for what end? What purpose? It's for his will, his purpose. He's to gather us all together in Christ at the end and to give us an inheritance in Christ according to his planned purpose, his will. This really, brothers and sisters, means in the end, eternity in the new kingdom, the new Jerusalem he's going to bring to earth, where he'll be in our presence, where we'll see God face to face. Think about that. It, it just, it astounds me when I even try to consider what that means, to be standing and kneeling and worshiping the Lord of the universe forever. Not just moments like this on a Sunday or in a Bible group, but every single moment. And, and that to me uh, is something I, I can understand intellectually, but I can't grasp it. I can believe it, I can accept it, but to me it's like, wow, what a purpose, what a will. 
And because of that, he says in verse 12, basically, to praise to God's glory, he wants us to be praiseworthy in how we live and praise givers to let him know that, that we acknowledge him and his work. And that's a result of the faith he has given us to trust him and his word and his work in Christ to reverse the unbelief of disobedience that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, did in the Garden of Eden. They took the shortcut. They said, oh, that's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. All I got to do is take that, and I'll know everything, and I'll be good, and I don't need to worry about anything. Uh, we see how that went. Didn't end well for any of us, and that's what we live with, is trusting God instead, taking that as word, and doing what he said in response. That's faith, trusting God, because we know he said it. And when he, we were tempted to go eat that forbidden fruit of trying to do it ourselves, we need to stop and say, no, I'm going to go back to God's word. What did he say? Like Jesus, tempted for 40 days in the desert. It's God said this. It's not what Satan or the world or ourselves tell us what we need or want. It's what God says that matters. And we trust him to do that. So the fourth and final aspect of our calling is uh, the calling of a promised hope, is what I call it. The last 11 verses here. He talks about how you trusted him, you heard the word of truth, the gospel, and having believed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It was the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption, the final redemption, of our purchased possession to, again, his praise and glory. So, this is what follows trust in God's work and our faith is our salvation first of all we trust to receive this truth that saves us from his wrath that we all deserve as we've seen but it's also a personal guarantee based on the fact that he now lives in us he put his own Holy Spirit inside of us it's interesting the word he used is basically the seal is the signet ring that they used to use. You may have seen it in Ben-Hur where the guy takes the wax tablet and punches and says, that's me. Nobody else can do that because that's my mark. God has marked us with his spirit. He has put himself within us so that we know we're his and that we can know what he wants us to know and to grow in, to know our calling, as this series is talking about. So based on that, we have an unbreakable promise that we will be redeemed on Judgment Day because we are bought and sealed, and we will be delivered by the work of Christ and God as his own. That's our eternal guarantee. There's no expiration date on salvation. It's forever. Why would we call it eternal salvation if it wasn't eternal? Just think about that for a second. It's not temporary salvation. It's not, okay, this is until you mess up. It's eternal, forever, to the ages of ages. And so we do these things to praise and glorify God for his arm of strength that saves us. In the last verses from 15 to 21 here in, in this part, in this section, talk about how he heard of their faith. This Paul's shepherding care for the Ephesians because he wrote to them hearing about their faith, what they were doing, the state of their health spiritually, their changed lives, their act of love. And because of this calling, and their increasing understanding of their call, Paul thanked God for them. He cared. But then he goes further into shepherding them with a shepherding heart, demonstrating it in verse 16. He starts about how he gives thanks to them for all these things. 
and tries to encourage them. And then he goes into this litany of, of different descriptions from 17 to 21 about the things that they have in Christ, the depths of this promised hope. First of all, in verse 17, we see wisdom and revealing everything for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3. It's knowing Christ, but also knowing about him and his will. That's what we get from learning, from reading the scriptures, from studying, from praying, from memorizing, from meditating, from hearing. It all comes through his word and his spirit telling us what that word means and how it applies to us. In verse 18, he goes into two other things. One, giving us spiritual sight, and the other one, to know the hope of this calling. So he's given us the light to understand his word. When I opened the Bible before I was a believer, I said, that's a nice story. I like that. Oh, wow, he fed a bunch of bread to people and fish. Mm, that's pretty cool. How do you do that? But when I came to Christ and he put his spirit in me, all of a sudden the words made sense. The scriptures had meaning, deep spiritual meaning that I, I could never understand before. I could try to reason, rationalize it, reason it out, but it was never the same. Knowing him gave me that spiritual sight. That was part of the calling. And to know the hope of this calling is the riches of his inheritance. He's given that to us, and it's exercised by us. In verse 19, he talks about to understand the power of the resurrection of Christ to be able to give us life from death. That's the proof of our hope. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, what hope would we have? It would just be stories. Be honest. But because we have testimony historical and biblical that proves Christ did rise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 makes that clear. That's why. That's our salvation. That's the proof. That's how we know what we know of our calling. And in verse 20, it's really to know that he sits in omnipotence. He's all-powerful. He reigns and he rules. He's the king of all the universe. So you can say then that his sovereignty is our security. Without that... We didn't know what would happen to us. We'd be open to the wolves. But because he reigns over all, he's in control, not us and not our enemies. And finally, in verse 21, it's to know that his name is above all others. We saw this back in Isaiah 45, 21, 22, and Philippians 2, 9 and 10 brings out again that every knee is going to bow to him in the end because he is Jesus Christ, he is divine. He is God. He's not just a man. And this is why our calling is not like any cult or other religion. Because other religions look at Jesus Christ here and they say, he's a prophet. He's Isha. He's a man. He's this. He's that. He's not God himself. But only God can be perfect to die for our sins. And that's part of our calling is to realize that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus Christ. So when we think about these things of our calling, it, to me, it is really amazing. And it inspires me to want to know more and more. And not to just say, okay, I've, I've arrived, I'm here. Let's get off the bus and go you know, play golf somewhere. But he says in the last two verses about how he put everything under his feet, gave him to be head of all the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. So our need to know and understand our calling is based on this absolute hope 
founded on God's sovereign grace as it rules in Christ. And we understand this and to realize it's an honor and a privilege in our calling. And this hope is revealed in his sovereign wisdom of redemption. He planned this from the beginning. Even we see in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to bruise the heel of our enemy. He was going to provide coverings for our sin like he did with the animal coverings. Sacrificed for us, for Adam and Eve. God had this all worked out because he planned it this way. So we understand that our calling is something that is absolute, it's certain, and it's full of hope and joy. No matter what happens in the circumstances of the world around us, the peace that he gives is not only peace with God because we're no longer facing condemnation, but it's peace in the world. We can see Israel and Hamas going at it. We can see Ukraine. We can see all these conflicts throughout history. But one thing that never changes is who's ruling over every single country, every single time, to his glory in the end. So this is the calling of a promised hope that we have. In a summary, I'd like to take a look at what we looked at so far briefly. We looked at our calling of holiness in the first two verses. We are saints made holy in Christ. We've seen the calling of blessings in verses 3 through 6, that we have been chosen to be adopted as his, his, blessed by him, in him. And then we saw the calling of God's wise will in verses 7 to 12, the revealed mystery of predestination. His calling, his determination, his choosing. And then we saw the calling of a promised hope, that it's unbreakable guaranteed for us to persevere to the end because there is an end and we are in it. So what do we do with all this? I mean, it's nice to know these things. It's inspiring. It makes us feel good. But why do we need to know these things and why should we continue to dig into these? I think some, at least three things here. Every time we read God's word, it should be fresh and exciting that we might continually know him more and grow even more, deeper in our souls by his word, working by his spirit. There's no place we can just arrive and say, I know it all now. That doesn't exist. Come up and talk to me afterwards. I like to know the solution to that. I like to know everything. It's not happening. But also that we might glorify and enjoy our Lord forever, like the Westminster uh, Catechism really clarifies for us. It's just that it's not just enough to know him. We give him glory in our lives. We give him glory in our worship. We give him glory so that we can enjoy him as he enjoys us because he made us in his image. And finally, though, this is also part of this, is that we might make disciples of this calling. Just as others told us the gospel, we need to be telling others as well. We need to be making disciples by telling them what the gospel is so that God can change their hearts and call those who's called and to teach them all things as we bring them into the church. So these things, Paul prayed, that we should fill us with awe and move us with gratitude to please God in return. So for the last slide here, since we've been accepted by grace in Christ, this is the question we need to really keep asking ourselves. Will we know him ever deeper to make him known ever wider? This is what it means to know your calling to understand what it means to know him more, to know and grow 
and we will look further at this the next time up here of what it means to be acceptable and not just accepted in Christ. So if you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the revelation of the mystery of who you are and who we are in you. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a certain hope, an absolute hope, something that doesn't fade away, something that's not temporary or conditional. Lord, we thank you that you've chosen us to participate in, in this grand plan of yours. Lord, thank you for your calling. We just ask that you might help us to be vessels of your gospel that others might hear the call to. Thank you in Jesus' name. So I'll leave you with a parting benediction from Numbers 26, 24 through 27. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.